going to have a good evening. We're going to have a very interesting time. All of you guys that are online with us, get ready because class starts in one minute. Kenny, you want to get up closer? Can you see that? All right, you're good. Anybody seen Adam? Huh? Yeah, if he works. All righty. All right. All right, guys, it's 7 o'clock, and we're going to get started on time tonight. Hey, thank you all for coming. First of all, how did class do last week we weren't here? Went okay? Good. I think Justin was a little late getting it on, but boy, I appreciate the fact that we could do that and get out of here and go to a meeting, and, and uh, y'all had school. Amen? So we will resume with that book next Tuesday, and I'll tell you how we're doing and what we're doing with that. Amen? So tonight we have a treat. I guess you already have figured this out. Aaron, uh, Yahav is here. He, is our, he was our tour guide uh, for twice when we went to Israel. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He taught in the official main school of Israel in Tel Aviv for six years. And he taught the guys that do tour, tour guides. He taught tour guides. So he's really sharp. Now, when we went over there and had him, we knew the moment we got on the bus with this man, this man knows what he's talking about. And he, he, I asked him, I said, how do you talk that much all day? He just said his, he did get tired. His voice did get tired some. But, uh, I've, I, I mean, we learned so much. What happened to me in Israel, and you'll, and you'll, get, and you'll get that in tonight and tomorrow night and Thursday night, is there's so much of the geography and the history that when you're reading your Bible, it, it doesn't make sense to you because you've never been there and seen that. There are very, there's some spots, and I'll leave it to Aaron to go over those spots with you, but there's areas that once you see it and learn the history of it, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that starts making a lot more sense. So we had those aha moments constantly while we were there like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. So now I'm reading my Bible. I have a mental image of where I am, where I'm going, what I'm doing. And it's powerful. So let me go over this. He is a qualified tour guide for 40 years. He was an active tour guide for 20, and he hadn't worked in one year because of COVID. Um, so I just want you to, I want to introduce, just say, Aaron, come on up here, and let's give him a great big hallelujah. <laughs> I'm going to give it to him and let him go. No, I have this one. <laughs> she remember. <laughs> she remember. <laughs> It's working, yeah? Great. 
Um, well, it, it's definitely, you know, my delight to be here with you. Uh, I knew that the Morgan family is so, uh, you know, great. But they are, <laughs> they are surprising me with how great they are. Uh, yeah, um, thank you so much for hosting me uh, in Apopka. Uh, I did six other churches before I came to Apopka on the east side. Uh, and um, I'm planning uh, on Friday to move to the uh, western side and to um, speak in a church in Venice, Florida. <laughs> then I'll take off back home on the 22nd. Amen. Um, 23rd is uh, election day in Israel. If I'll have time at the very end of the first session, I'll share with you a little bit about our parliamentary system. Uh, and it's, it's a bit crazy. We are going to number four within two years. <laughs> yeah, situation is not so stable politically, <laughs> politically. Um, <clears throat> now, um, uh, I was born in Israel and uh, grew up in Israel. You can uh, hear my accent. It's uh, a bit different <laughs> from uh, the uh, American people here. And um, I did what, uh, what every boy and girl will do in Israel. We went to school, <laughs> we study, we finished high school, we went to the army. In Israel, it's mandatory. So we have to uh, serve in the IDF, uh, <clears throat> men and women. Men are doing three years and women are doing two years. And uh, only then you can, uh, you can actually continue to university. You cannot take any academic studies uh, straight from high school. You have to, first of all, serve your country. Uh, and um, during my last presentation on Thursday, I hope that you will have the energy to survive and to go with me all the five. Um, I will talk about also uh, the war in which I personally uh, got involved. Uh, the Yom Kippur War, October 1973. Uh, I was only 19 at that time. Um, and uh, then, after the military service, I graduated uh, in one of the universities in Israel. And uh, I have a degree in biblical history and biblical archaeology. And um, in the last 20 years, as you uh, heard, I'm an active tour guide in Israel. And in the last year, no tourist. Yeah. When I'm saying no tourist, no, no tourist. Wow. Zero. Yeah. A country that in 2019 broke a record in tourism. Yeah. Four and a half million wow. yeah, tourists visited uh, it was really a record. We went from like here to here. <laughs> um, but now things are getting much, much, much better. And we are praying and we hope that the wheels will start moving. <laughs> so I'm, I hope that with your help, we will see tourists in the near future back in, in, in the Holy Land. Uh, they have to come in order to 
understand the Bible so much uh, more. Um, we are going to have five meetings. Uh, tonight, three, and then tomorrow evening, one, and the next evening, one. So here is what I'm going to do. Uh, the first session, which will be like 40, 45 minutes, I would like to give you an introduction of Israel. It will be like a free conversation, introduction. We will start with the big area called the Middle East and we'll go and zoom into, 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 into. Uh, so I'd like to give you, uh, I believe, enough facts to understand Israel. Then we'll have a short break. Second session will be very interesting. We are going to zoom in to Jerusalem. So I'll, I'll use maps and I'll teach you how Jerusalem started, where, when, by whom, why specifically there, and how Jerusalem became much bigger. The third presentation, that's the uh, uh, title, The Old Testament is Alive. I'm going to use many, many slides and pictures and show you sites with a strong uh, connection to uh, the Tanakh. Are you familiar with the term Tanakh? The Old Testament, Tanakh. That's how in Hebrew we call it. Um, and um, so this is what we'll do tonight, this evening. Tomorrow night, same idea, but we'll do the footsteps of Jesus with slides. <laughs> Tomorrow night. Yeah. The third evening will be modern day Israel, different things. You know, I'll talk about how Israel became a state. When do we see the beginning of modern Israel? What caused you know, Israel to actually be established as a state and how Israel became the homeland in modern times of the Jewish people? It will be like a fulfillment of the biblical prophecies that you know, are talking about the connection between the land and the people. So this will be the third presentation. So Thursday evening, I'll try to bring it to current you know, days. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> so let's begin. Uh, where's Justin? Justin, where are you? I need the map, the big map. Oh, here it is. Thank you. Um, I'll ask you a question, um, friends. Um, where is Israel geographically? Where is Israel? Is Israel in Asia? Is Israel in Europe? Is Israel in Africa? So where is Israel? But what is the Middle East geographically? It's part of Asia. But when we are playing football, 
and our football is not yours. Our football is soccer, yes? When we are playing football, we are playing in Europe. We belong to the European League. So all our, you know, political connections are with the Western world, with Europe. So geographically, Israel is in Asia, Middle East, Asia. Okay, but culturally, we are, of course, part of Europe and all of that. Um, now, um, let's go back to ancient times, ancient uh, days, like several millenniums back in time. You, uh, I believe, can get an idea of uh, that small country, Israel, yes, being like a bridge and try to get used to the term bridge between continents. Israel is a bridge between continents. Okay. So in the ancient times, in biblical times, we are talking about the Fertile Crescent. So from Israel, if you go up north to where Syria is today, from there you're going to follow the two big rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. This area in biblical times was called Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia. Do you know who was born there? Abraham, Avram, <laughs> he's from Ur, and that's Ur, that's Ur, yeah? Um, I don't want to take, you know, my stories from the third session tonight, but that's basically the route of Abraham from Ur to Haran, and from Haran, God said to him, go to the land that I will take you, show you. So, Mesopotamia. And then, of course, Egypt in the south. And Israel is in between. So this is in, in, in ancient times. Um, <clears throat> let's try now to zoom into the uh, land of Israel. Uh, it's very important to understand the size of Israel. When uh, you're traveling in Israel, you get a feeling that Israel is like quite a big yeah. country. Um, if you are driving a car from the Mediterranean to the Dead Sea, this is the widest part of Israel, it will take you one hour and a half. One hour and a half. Wow. 60, 65 miles, that's the widest. And if you're driving the car from the northern end, Mount Hermon, all the way down to the Red Sea, five hours. This will be almost 350 miles long. That's the size of Israel. Uh, 
let's, let's try to get some names of areas, regions in Israel. Um, we have the coast, the Mediterranean coast, a strip of two or three miles, not more, which is flat and sandy, very sandy, like, like, almost like a beach. Yeah. We then, when we are moving in, immediately will start seeing how the landscape is changing and become very hilly. When I'm saying hilly, it will be a thousand feet above sea level. <laughs> That's sea level. Okay. <clears throat> when you are leaving the hills, you're coming to the mountains. So all along Israel, from the north to the south, there are mountains. Uh, and they are, you know, rising to different uh, altitudes. We have the upper Galilee mountains, about um, 3,600 feet above sea level, the highest. We then have the lower Galilee area. We then have the mountains of Samaria. Samaria, some of these mountains are very high. We then are moving down to the mountains of Judea. Then we have the Negev mountains. As you can see, this big triangle is called Negev, uh, which is almost 50% of Israel, a desert, very dry <laughs> desert. So relatively, I can say that the upper part from the center up north, quite green. <laughs> Many tourists will be surprised when they are in Israel. It's so green. But we thought that we are coming to a desert. And it's blooming, and it's so nice, and there are, you know, many trees. By the way, we had to work hard, you know, to uh, make it green in modern times. Because the Turks, who ruled this land before we came in modern times, cut off you know, all the trees that grew in Israel for their trains. So relatively green. We cross the mountains. By the way, the elevation of Jerusalem, 2,400 feet above sea level. And then we are falling, you know, metaphorically falling. We are going downhill. Depending where, if you're heading to the Dead Sea, this is the lowest place on Earth. 1,300 feet below sea level. Who knows which place in America is the lowest? How, how low is the Death Valley? Below sea level. 270 feet below sea level. And the Dead Sea, 1,300 feet below sea level. <laughs> no wonder why I'm saying we are falling. <laughs> we are falling. <laughs> In between, big desert, which is called Judean Desert. So we have the Negev Desert. We have the Judean Desert. 
I want to share with you uh, something that uh, was published in Israel yesterday, uh, very fresh. The Judean desert has many caves where in ancient times people lived. I believe that you all are familiar with the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, correct? And they came from these caves. Yesterday, in another cave in the Judean desert, our archaeologist went down to the cave, found hundreds of fragments written in Hebrew from 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. They are not part of the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it's a great discovery. Uh, yeah, that cave was not explored before. Those archaeologists tied themselves with a rope, and uh, from the top of the cliff, they were brought down to the cave, they were searching, and they found hundreds of uh, fragments written in Hebrew. Hebrew, 2,000 years ago. Hebrew, the same language that I'm teaching my you know, grandchild now. The same language, Hebrew. Same text, Aleph, Bet, Gimel. Same Hebrew as the Bible, you know was written. Uh, so the Judean desert. And of course the Dead Sea, the saltiest body of water in the world. People who were with me on the tour, uh, yeah. you remember, floating and mudding up themselves and uh, yeah. Uh, now, uh, of course if we go further up north, we have the Sea of Galilee fresh water, and the Jordan River, which is coming from Mount Hermon, feeding the Sea of Galilee with fresh water. That's the only natural body of water in Israel, with fresh water. Uh, and beyond the, the Sea of Galilee, okay, we have the Golan Heights. Now let's try to do the same thing but to use biblical names, all right? <laughs> to define places in Israel, in the land of Israel, with names coming from the Bible, all right? Are you familiar with the name Phoenicia? <laughs> the Phoenicians, who are they? From where are they coming? So they came from Lebanon. Phoenicians were people who knew how to produce glass, you know, from the seeds of the sand. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. And uh, therefore, they came from the uh, area of Lebanon, and they occupied the coast of Israel almost till Tel Aviv. Of course, Tel Aviv didn't exist at that time. <laughs> All right? So that part of the coast was called the coast occupied by the Phoenicians. What happened to the southern coast? Another group occupied the southern coast in the ancient times, and they were called Philistines. Mm -hmm. okay. Philistines, yes. Where are the Philistines from? Crete, Crete Rhodes, Cyprus, the islands near, near Greece. What are they known for doing? Stealing territory. Sorry? <laughs> Stealing territory. 
stealing land, yeah. Uh, many of them knew how to work with, uh, you know, copper. Uh, and uh, slowly, slowly, they also will be involved with iron. So they will be like blacksmith, yeah. coppersmith, uh, the Philistines. So when they landed here, they built five cities in this area, three along the coast, Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ashdod. You can find those names, yes, in the Bible. And then a little bit inland, Gat and Ekron. Who is from Gat? Goliath. Goliath. Goliath, yeah. Uh, so that area was the land that they took, okay, and they settled here. When the children of Israel are entering to the land, after spending the 40 years in the desert, yes, the new generation came inside, took the cities over here like Jericho, and then uh, basically uh, they drew the lots and they knew where each tribe will go, which plot will be in the hands of, you know, which tribe. This will be called Israel. This will be called Judea. All right? How many tribes lived in Judea? Two. Which tribes? Judah and, uh, and Simon. Shimon. Judah and Shimon. Yehuda and Shimon. Uh, Jerusalem will be the northern end of the land of Judah. And then from here, you have Benjamin, Ephraim, Dan, the original Dan, before they moved to uh, the new plot in the north. And then a little bit further up, Manasseh, Manasseh, the biggest. And then it goes to the shores to Asher, and then Zebulun, and Naphtali, in Issachar, and who lived on the other side of the river? Gad, Reuben, and half of Manasseh. Okay, so the same land is now parcelated between the tribes. Each one has his own plot. Um, since I touched the um, you know, the, the biblical times, and I, I told you tonight, I mean, the first session, we are not going into the real details. It will be as if we are looking upon Israel from above a helicopter, and I'm just giving you a few facts about Israel, all right? Uh, let's go quickly and see how many hands were holding Israel. Why they all wanted to have this land? <laughs> Jerusalem, and I mean, I, 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 I use the term bridge between continents. <laughs> they knew that if they want to control the entire Middle East, they need Israel. They need Israel. Look how many hands. <laughs> Uh, and our history goes back 
you know, to Abraham 4,000 years ago. And then the patriarchs, the matriarchs, and then the story of Egypt, and then the return. Around 1200 BC, Joshua brought uh, the Israelites in the land. Uh, we lost the land in 586 BC when the uh, Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, destroyed Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the first temple. And they are now controlling. We are in exile in Babylonia, Mesopotamia. Our people will start coming back after 50 years. They reestablish the temple in Jerusalem. We will build life, Jewish life, all over Israel during the time of Jesus, you know, 2,000 years ago. Majority of the people, Jewish people in Israel. The next fall is coming 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, and let the second temple down to fall. Since 70 AD, 2,000 years, Israel will not give the opportunity to Jewish people to live their life as free people. 2,000 years. They will be under the hands of uh, other nations, like Rome, Byzantium, Muslims, you know, the Arab invasion of the 600s. Uh, then Crusaders, have you heard the name Crusaders? Uh, then the Mamluks who came from Egypt. Then the Ottomans who came from what Turkey will be. Yes? And they will hold the land till the end of the First World War. Then the British will control the land till 1948 and Israel became a state. So I just gave you quickly a brief, you know, uh, historical line with names of nations that control this land till we, the modern, I like to use the term modern Jews, uh, we return to our land and we build Israel. Um, I would like to um, say a few words about uh, water and agriculture in Israel, in modern. So I'm talking about modern Israel. Uh, we have a river that we call the Jordan River, flowing from uh, Mount Hermon down to the Sea of Galilee, fresh water. Uh, and up until recently, the Sea of Galilee in Israel was the uh, major water source, fresh water source, for all our needs. Um, and it's the only one. You have many lakes here. Yeah. I saw today Lake Pleasant when I did my walking in the morning. Uh, you have many lakes. We have one. One. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, 
you will not believe if I will tell you, but that's, uh, you know, that's the truth. How news will start every morning in Israel during wintertime by reporting to us through the news how much water was added into the Sea of Galilee the previous night. <laughs> and we are measuring by, you know, the metric. In Israel, we have the metric system. So millimeters. So when you see people smiling in Israel during wintertime, you will know why. Because they are happy to have water in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the population is growing. The need for water is growing. Nowadays, we are not pumping any more water. From the Sea of Galilee, we are desalinizing. When you open a tap in Israel and you drink water, and you're allowed to drink from a tap, all the water is desalinized from the Mediterranean Sea. And for irrigation, we are recycling water. And on one hand, not having so much fresh water brought us in Israel and our engineers to develop, you know, I can say the best yes. solutions for irrigation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, countries like African countries are coming to study in Israel how to uh, treat the land. Mm -hmm. They have much more water than what Israel has, and they are coming to learn from us. Amen. Like, you know, the dripping system and all of that. Yeah. And I can tell you, and you can see it for sure when you're traveling in Israel, how we took a land which was so barren, so dry, and you can get tomatoes that you never tasted before. <laughs> and dates all over the Jordan Valley, your eyes are becoming tired from seeing millions of trees. <laughs> you know, each one with so many dates hanged on top. We are exporting to the world so many dates. And I can go on and on and on and on and, you know, share with I mean, Except a few tropic, you know, uh, products like coconuts that we don't have. Okay, pineapple. Whatever you can think about, you will find in Israel. Whatever. No wonder why it is known as the land of milk and honey. We actually took the desert and we turned the desert to bloom. So beautiful, so beautiful. Uh, so Israel is also exporting uh, a lot of the agricultural uh, products. How many people uh, live in Israel today? Over nine million citizens of Israel. 80% are Jewish people, and then 20% are not Jews, Arabs, Israeli Arabs. Mm -hmm. They also live in Israel, fully citizens. Mm -hmm. um, 
among the Arabs, you can find Arabs who are Muslims and, uh, and Arabs who are Christians in Israel. Like if you go to a city like Nazareth in Israel, you will find many Arab Christians. And if you go to a city, another one like Jaffa, you can find uh, Muslims, Akko Muslims. Among the Jews, we have half and half. Half from the uh, seven million are secular Jews, not the type of what you may think when you see a Jew dressed with the white and black, you know, especially when you're flying to Israel, you will see them on the plane, you know, praying with the black hat, the beard. Uh, so we have uh, half secular, like, you know, we are, they are like me. I'm a secular Jew. I'm not a practicing Jew. Uh, and the other half practicing Jews and they go from modern practicing Jew to ultra-Orthodox, ultra-religious practicing Jews. <clears throat> we also have another group in Israel called the Druze community or the Druze group, about a quarter of a million people in Israel. Where do most people live in Israel? In cities in cities, okay, so where can we find the major cities? Most of them along the coast because it's easy. You don't have mountains or hills and you're close to the ocean. And uh, uh, so, and the weather is fine, a bit hot, a bit humid, but you're used to it here. Yeah. We have the same, yeah. we have the same along the coast. This is why I don't on the coast, <laughs> okay. I prefer the dry weather. Uh, so you have Tel Aviv, Haifa. These two are quite large cities. The biggest one is the capital of Israel, Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, unlike the others, is here on the mountains of Judea. The weather is beautiful, dry, cold in winter. Sometimes snowing there in wintertime. Jerusalem, close to one million people. It's the biggest uh, city in Israel. Yeah. And then Tel Aviv is number two, and Haifa number three, and then down and down to so many other cities. Uh, but we do have also other kind of settlements which are called agricultural settlements. <laughs> I don't know how many of you heard or are familiar with the name kibbutz, moshav, like a collective, like a communal lifestyle, very different from your life here. Because the pioneers that built the first kibbutz are Jewish people who came from Russia. So what did they took when they came from Russia? What they learned in Russia. Ideals like communism, socialism, and they found this good enough at that time, 100 years ago. The first kibbutz was established in 1909 near the Sea of Galilee. It was good enough for them to build up groups of 
young idealist people who went to the difficult areas to settle. Not to the easy, not to the convenient, to the, the swamps, you know, to fight the mosquitoes and uh, all the, the malaria and all these problems. Okay, uh, so with a lot of idealism, uh, they built 300 kibbutzim all over Israel, all over Israel. Israel of today is not the same Israel. 100 years ago, Israel today is much closer to the life here. <laughs> yes, capitalism is now the name of the game in Israel as well. And uh, therefore, from the 300 kibbutzes, maybe 10% are still functioning with the same concept, the rest were privatized. They are doing most of the agriculture in Israel. They are those who are uh, growing so much and, of course, um, you know, providing us in the markets the fresh uh, food that we can find there. Um, what are the other uh, sectors of the Israeli economy? High-tech is number one, high technology. Uh, and military industry is very big in Israel, and uh, diamonds cutting and polishing is big in Israel, and uh, agriculture and tourism, number five. Um, how many outlets we have from Israel to the sea? And when, you, when a country has an outlet, you can ship your goods you know, via the ocean. So we have one outlet to the Mediterranean. Our major port is Haifa, Haifa port, and Ashdod here. So goods are taken to Europe from here. We also have an outlet to the Red Sea from Eilat. In Israel, we are not manufacturing cars. We are manufacturing tanks, but not cars. Um, so we are bringing cars. Most of them are Asian cars. And that's the gate to bring them through the Red Sea, the Indian Ocean at the bottom, and the Red Sea, and to Eilat. So this is what the harbor is doing here. Um, do you remember me mentioning the term bridge between continents? Do you know who is the neighbor? Of course you know. Who is our neighbor on the east? Jordan. Israel signed two peace treaties with Egypt and with Jordan. With Lebanon and with Syria, it's a kind of a, uh, we are not in a war, but uh, armistice agreement or something like this. Um, so, uh, since uh, we have two peace treaties, one with Egypt, one with Jordan, the borders are open. These borders are closed. No one can cross. No one. Okay. Uh, we don't have any international flights from Israel to Lebanon or to Syria. 
we have other flights yes. <laughs> to Syria. And this, uh, this night in Israel, there was another strike. But that's my third presentation on Thursday. You know, I'll speak about why are we, you know, striking these convoys smuggling weapons to Lebanon. So these borders close, these borders open. Uh, the first peace treaty was signed with Egypt, 1979. The second with Jordan, 1993. And look what Israel is doing for Jordan. Jordan is mining uh, minerals, like uh, potash or phosphate um, or other goods. The economy of Jordan cannot be compared at all with the economy of Israel. Uh, uh, but we are trying to help them uh, since, you know, we are neighbors and uh, we have peace treaty and the border is open. Now, they don't have any outlet beside the Red Sea. If they need to ship something to Europe, do you have an idea what a boat needs to do to go all the way around Sinai and then up to the Suez Canal? and then back into the Mediterranean and to Europe. That's a long journey, which will make the goods more expensive. They cannot compete. Israel opened here at the harbor of Haifa, a section that the Jordanians are operating. We gave them the permit. So they bring their goods to the city of Beit She'an here, they are loaded on a train. The train is taking them to Haifa. There is a boat there. It's much shorter to Europe, yeah. much more cheaper for them. So can you see how Israel, all of a sudden, is functioning again as it was in biblical times, like bridge between continents? Um, the uh, education system in Israel is based on uh, public schools. Uh, so from elementary to high school. And then, as I mentioned at the beginning, when uh, we are finishing the high school, then come the military service. Three years for men, two years for women. Then men will do their reserve duty till the age of 45. Women are free and they don't have to do any reserve uh, service. Men have to do. Uh, our big army is the reserve army, much bigger than the regular army uh, with the uh, younger soldiers. Uh, I, have, well, I have maybe uh, two more minutes and then we'll go, we'll take a break. Uh, so two minutes, I'll just share with you a brief thing uh, of the uh, uh, parliamentary system of Israel. Why are we going so often to our elections? Uh, unlike America, here you vote for a president. In Israel, we are voting for a party. Uh, and we have too many parties, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know if you know the joke I'm a Jew, so I can tell jokes about Jewish people, <laughs> okay? 
Jewish people are very, very opinionated people. When you meet two Jewish friends and you are talking to them, trust me, you will hear five opinions. <laughs> okay? So each one wants to establish his own party. We have 120 members in the parliament, Knesset, and we are voting for a party. And whoever can arrange, establish a majority by several parties, uh, and a majority will be 61 and more. From 120, it cannot be 60 because 60 is not a majority. It must be 61 and more will be the prime minister. This is how it's working. Uh, but since, as I said before, we are so opinionated, and um, there are parties with big appetite, appetite, and uh, they want more and more and more and more. So uh, most of the recent coalitions in Israel had 61. And if one member will step back, or one small party will leave the coalition, there's no life for the government. The government is immediately falling down. Okay? And this is what's happening in Israel. And uh, we, um, the official term should be four, four and a half years. And no government can rule more than a year and a half. Uh, then we are going to a next and the next and the next election. Let's hope that uh, this will be the last one in the row and will finally come to a rest politically. <laughs> and uh, the coalition will be, you know, solid and stable to be able to uh, govern the full term of four years. Uh, I was trying to give you, you know, some um, ideas, facts, a little taste of uh, Israel. Um, and um, I hope that it uh, will help you to understand a little bit about the geography, the history, the borders, the people, the land, the topography, mountains, valleys, desert, coast. Um, and uh, we can take a break now of uh, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and at 8 o'clock, I will talk about Jerusalem. All right? Thank you. Thank you. Let's the uh, second session. Jerusalem, I told you, we are now going to zoom into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, there's something very important to know about uh, ancient cities. I'm not going to speak modern Jerusalem. I'm going to speak now the ancient Jerusalem, the biblical city. Something to know about ancient cities, um, especially in our area, or I even say the entire Middle East. Um, there are four criteria. What can make a location for a city to be ideal location, the best? Number one, water, fresh water. Uh, when we are saying fresh water, in our area, in most cases, will be a trickle, not more. 
like a well, like a, an underground spring where you see water bubbling. We don't have rivers beside the Jordan River, okay. which by itself is not so big, not so wide. But. So water is number one. When we say water, we mean the proximity between the homes and the water. And for ideally, the closer you are, okay, uh, will save you a lot of energy to bring water to your home every day. Number two will be elevation. Uh, elevation for the natural safety of the people. So in most cases, the ancient cities in our region, in biblical times, were built on top of hills. Hills. Uh, I believe that some of you are familiar with the word tell, T-E-L. Tell represents a hill, a mound, with several different cities built you know, on top of it. When one got destroyed, they put the next one on top. So you can find several layers in a tell, like Tel Megiddo. Uh, so this is number two, elevation. Number three will be uh, main road. They wanted the cities to be as close as possible to the main road. And number four is land that you can cultivate and produce something. <clears throat> so please remember these four. Uh, not every city could provide all the four. But for sure, two of them were necessary, water and elevation. And. Uh, Try to remember this, it will help us a lot when we are coming to talk about Jerusalem. Uh, so geographically, Jerusalem is uh, located on the mountains of Judea, between Judea and Samaria. Uh, I told you the elevation of Jerusalem, 2,400 feet above sea level. Jerusalem is very hilly. When you're making a tour in Israel, your feet will feel very much how hilly is Jerusalem. You always go uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, um, who built Jerusalem? <clears throat> who is the first builder of Jerusalem in the Bible? Who made Jerusalem a city? King. David, King David. What was Jerusalem before King David time? Maybe a little village where people called Jebusites lived. Yes. Uh, and then there came David and uh, King David and sent his uh, mighty men, his warriors. And uh, they did what they did as we read in the Bible and they took the place and he established the city, the first city which he named the city of David. Uh, before talking about the city of David and how the city will grow from there, I would like to share with you a little bit the topography. Are you familiar with the word topography? Landscape. And the geography of Jerusalem, the ancient Jerusalem, not the modern Jerusalem. 
the ancient. So what do we have there? Uh, we have uh, a valley. The name of the valley is Kidron. Kidron Brook or Kidron Valley. And we have another one. <clears throat> another valley that will do this. And will come to an end here. <laughs> and this is the valley of Hinnom. So Hinnom and Kidron. Where do we see in the Bible these two names? I took some notes for me. Um, I would like to read from uh, Joshua 15, verse 8. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom onto the south side of the Jebusite, the same is Jerusalem, and the border went up to the top of the mountain that laid before the valley of the Hinnom westward. So we have a description of the area of Jerusalem, and look how much focusing is done and will be put on the valley of Hinnom. Where do we see in the Bible the Kidron? I will take one reference from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15, verse 23. And uh, that's the story when uh, David is running away from Absalom. You know, his bad son. 23. 2 uh, Samuel. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over the king, also himself passed over the brook Kidron. Kidron brook, and that's the Kidron. Directions are very important for the understanding of Jerusalem. This will be north, this will be east, this will be south, this is west. Okay. Which mountain do we have on the eastern side? Mount of Olives. You've heard the name, yeah. Mount of Olives. All right? Uh, what is the first uh, criteria for a city? What is the, you know, the first one that the city has no life without? <laughs> it's hard to imagine that Jerusalem small or big, it doesn't matter, has one, one single source of fresh water, which is not a lake and not a river, it's a spring. And the name of that spring is Gihon. Gihon, spring Gihon. And where is that spring located? In the Kidron Valley right here. So I did it with blue color, water. Um, 
I would like to share with you some words of the Bible talking about the Gihon. And the best reference yeah, will be from 1 Kings, 1st chapter, verses 33 and 34. The king, it's talking about, um, uh, you know, King Solomon. Um, actually, King David. The king also said unto them, Take with you the servant of your Lord, and cause Solomon my son, said David, about his son Solomon, to ride upon my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. So they brought him on the mule to the spring Gihon. For what reason? What happened there? And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him their king over Israel. So my friends, King Solomon was anointed to be king over Israel by the Gihon spring. Right here. The only water source of Jerusalem. It's in the Kidron Valley at the bottom, and it's an underground water source. After saying this, okay, let's bring King David now in the region, into the place. Where was King David sitting during his first years of being the king of Israel? Who remember which city? Before coming to Jerusalem. Hebron. He reigned over Israel from the city of Hebron. About seven years. And then he decided to move to Jerusalem. Knowing that here he can unite all the people of Israel behind one capital. Don't forget that Hebron is in Judea. So it may create a kind of antagonism by the people who lived in Israel in the northern kingdom, okay, if the capital will be Hebron. <coughs> Sorry. So King David is moving to Jerusalem, <coughs> uh, the place, as the Bible says, where the Jebusites lived. There's a beautiful story how he conquered the city. I'm not going to go into the details uh, with the, you know, the lame and the, uh, and the blind and how the Jebusites were cursing David. Ah, you, you're coming against us. We will put the lame and the blind on the walls. They will curse your army. You will not be able to take Jerusalem. And uh, they found a way, uh, the Bible says, that there was a gutter. Do you know what's a gutter? Like a pipe, an underground pipe. They found a hole in the rock at the bottom, and through that pipe shaft, they were able to climb up, and they took the land from the Jebusites. And David built the city, which will be named since then as the city of David. And where was the city of David? Near the water, 
I told you they wanted the, the city to be as close as possible. There's no point to put the city here if the water is here. Who is going to carry the water? Okay, so he but he wanted also the city to be elevated. So there is a hill here, which is called the Western Hill, because it's west. And on top of the hill, King David built his city, which was not so big. This is Jerusalem 3,000 years ago. Okay, that city will be on a hill, but unlike many cities where the source of the water was within the wall, within the city wall, because the city was surrounded with a wall. Here in Jerusalem, they couldn't include the Gihon Spring within the city wall because the water is in the valley. You don't need to be a general in the army to understand that there is no point to put a wall in a valley. It won't work. So now we have a city with its water source indefensible. Indefensible, because it's outside the wall. Any enemy who would like to come and to take Jerusalem, and it will happen, or at least they will try. Doesn't, nearly, uh, doesn't really need to fight. All they need to do is to cut off the water supply, and that's it. <laughs> that's the city of David with a palace here. Okay. Uh, and um, that's the beginning of Jerusalem. From David, we are moving to Solomon, King Solomon. And what did King Solomon do? In Jerusalem, he built a temple. Where did King Solomon build a temple? There's another mountain, not so high as Mount of Olives, okay, which is north to the city of David. Okay, I'm going to put a little mountain here with a rock on top. And this mountain was known as Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. And when we hear the name Moriah, we immediately think of Genesis. Yes, yes? how God said to Abraham, yes. go to a place called Moriah. Yes. Take your son, and you know what happened there. So this was identified as Mount Moriah. No wonder why when King Solomon will build the first temple, it will be built on top of Mount Moriah. Next session, I will show you an illustration of this when I will show you the slides. And he will include Mount Moriah to be part of Jerusalem. So during King Solomon's time, the city is becoming a little bigger. Now, if you have good eyes, look to this map, you can see something very similar to you know, what I drew over there and how the city is growing up to the north, including Mount Moriah with the first temple of Jerusalem. Um, this is Jerusalem till King Solomon died. 
uh, in the uh, near future, after King Solomon, uh, the city will need to grow. Okay, so if there is a valley here, and if there is a valley here, and these two valleys are going to stand almost forever as the borders of Jerusalem, where can they have a spare land to extend the city? To go west and then to go north. No valleys here. I hope that you understand what I'm trying to say. They didn't want to cross and to build on the other side of the valleys because they wanted the valleys to be like natural boundaries of Jerusalem. For instance, Mount of Olives that we read so much in the Bible, okay, especially in the New Testament, was never part of Jerusalem. Am I surprising you? Never part of Jerusalem. Gethsemane, where Jesus went that evening, yes, to pray, where he is going to be arrested, was never part of Jerusalem. Because it was on the other side of the Kidron Valley. Wow. <laughs> um, the kingdom, the united kingdom is now splitting. Okay, when I'm saying United Kingdom, I don't mean Great Britain. <laughs> I mean uh, under King David and King Solomon. When did King Solomon die? In 928 BC. And then the kingdom was split between Judea in the south and Israel in the north. And you know that each, each one had their own king. Like Rehoboam was the king of Judea and Jeroboam was the king of Israel. Uh, without dealing so much with Israel, I will mention this in my next presentation. Um, I guess that you know uh, from the Bible how some of the kings of Israel did evil things, you know, in the eyes of God. And no wonder why God is going to send enemies. And Israel will be the first kingdom to fall, not Judea, Israel in the north. And uh, Israel fell in 722 BC. The Bible says that from the northern kingdom, Israel, people who were not killed or captured escaped, were able to leave, and they came down to Jerusalem to find a shelter. Okay, who is the king of Judea at that time? His name is Hezekiah. You've heard the name, Hezekiah. <coughs> knowing, knowing, yes, that many people are now coming to Jerusalem, the city needs to grow. Remember, east is blocked. South is blocked, only west, and then north. So what did Hezekiah do in Jerusalem in order to prepare the city? He is doing two projects in Jerusalem. You're going to see pictures in the next presentation of these two projects. Number one, he's building a new wall to the city. 
And now we know that the wall or Jerusalem during Hezekiah, look what will happen to the city. And we found fragments of the wall. When I'm saying we, I mean archaeologists in Israel uncovered Hezekiah's wall in certain fragments. And it's something that you can see when you're touring Jerusalem with your eyes. We have a perfect description of the wall that Hezekiah built in Isaiah or in Chronicles or in Kings. Um, and uh, what is the second project that uh, Hezekiah did in Jerusalem in order to prepare the city? <coughs> Sorry? Tunnel. Which tunnel? Escape tunnel? <laughs> what was the tunnel made for? Do you remember how the water is outside the city wall? The year is... 705, 704 BC, and he understood Hezekiah that the king of Assyria, which is Syria of today, what was his name? Sennacherib. His name is in the Bible, written. He's coming with big army to take Jerusalem. So not only that Hezekiah made the wall to the city, and you can see it here, Yes? <coughs> he um, allocated two groups of people with, uh, you know, strong hands. <laughs> and they were holding uh, chisels and hammers. And their job was to make a tunnel. And uh, the idea was to capture the water that is coming from the spring and to bring it into the city with a tunnel. So they made this. And here, inside the wall, a big pool. What a story. You know, one group started to make the tunnel from the Gihon Spring. The other group started to make the tunnel from the bottom where a pool named Siloam, the Pool of Siloam, quite large. What did they saw when they were chopping the rock? They saw only a solid rock. They are building, you know, making the tunnel, working under the ground level. No light besides some lamps. No GPS <laughs> to know their way. 2,700 years ago, the tunnel was done. 2,700 years ago. All they have in their hands, <clears throat> a chisel and a hammer. And they are chopping and cutting the rock and moving ahead and moving ahead. So one group from here and one group from here they are working one year, and they don't know what the other group is doing. How will they know? It's underground. Yeah. Uh, in the year 1880, which is uh, 
like 140 years ago. There's a little village here where Arabs live in Jerusalem. And during summertime, two boys from that village came down to play in the water. And they discovered, while playing, inside the tunnel a plaque with an inscription on that plaque that was left by whom? By those who made the tunnel. And they told the story of how they made the tunnel, writing that you know, on their plaque. <coughs> and the most exciting moment was, and it's all written there, uh, when they were working a year, not knowing what the other group is doing. And after one year, all of a sudden, one group started to hear And they realized how close they are to the other group. It came from the other side of the wall. And then the wall was open, and they shook hands. And the gap between the two groups, one foot. The length of the tunnel, 1,600 feet. They are working one year, no GPS. And this is the distance. That's the, you know, the length between the two groups. And then they met. They lowered down the floor of the tunnel. And the water that came out from the spring went to the tunnel and started to flow all the way to the pool of Ceylon. Then they camouflaged. They hid you know, the spring, no one knew where the source is. And uh, this is how Jerusalem was saved. And Sennacherib that attacked the city in 701 BC, okay, because of also problems that he had, political problems, in Nineveh, where he came from, uh, and also God punished him. Uh, if you remember, uh, his soldiers were hit by a big plague. And many of them not only died, were, you know, got sick in Jerusalem. So he lifted up the siege that he put around the city. And he left Jerusalem, went back to Nineveh, and Jerusalem was saved. We found the spring, Gihon, where King Solomon was anointed. We found the pool of Siloam. Do you know what happened 700 years later after King Hezekiah by the pool of Siloam? Go to John 9. That's where Jesus sent the blind man. And he got his sight back. We found the tunnel and after 2,700 years, the water is still flowing there. Wow. And uh, I'll show you later on a picture of how tourists are, you know, walking with their feet in the water through the dark tunnel. So Jerusalem 
was not taken in 701, Israel got destroyed. There is no Israel at that time. Only Judea. It will take another 120 years to bring the next enemy to Jerusalem, the Babylonians. And when the Babylonians attacked the city in 586 BC with Nebuchadnezzar, you know, their king, they conquered Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple built by King Solomon on Mount Moriah. They technically destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the walls. Uh, they couldn't destroy the water tunnel. Of course, it's so deep underground, but uh, as we see uh, from the Bible, how the city was left empty with garbage, you know. And uh, he took the Jews to exile, uh, 60, uh, 650 miles away from Jerusalem, Babylonia, Iraq of today, where they were sitting 50 years. And then <clears throat> some of them started to uh, uh, return to Jerusalem when Babylon disappeared and Persia took over and Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, said to the Jews, don't stay here, go home. And your home is Zion, Jerusalem. And uh, they came, some came. Uh, you, I'm sure, heard the name Zerubbabel. And, uh, and in 516 BC, they rebuilt the temple on Mount Moriah. Was it as nice as King Solomon temple? <laughs> Do you remember how the Bible is telling us that the elderly people, those that remember, were crying when they saw the outcome, the result, because it was a small one, not so nice uh, as the first one. But we have a second one now in Jerusalem. Few decades later came uh, another leader that uh, I'm sure that you know his name, Nehemiah. And what did Nehemiah do in Jerusalem? Before building the wall, he, um, he did a night survey in Jerusalem, a night journey. He wanted to know what's the situation of Jerusalem. Uh, so uh, I'm reading from Nehemiah, second chapter, verses uh, 12 to 15. Second chapter, 12, 15. And I, Nehemiah, <laughs> arose in the night. Uh, I and some few men with me, neither told I any men what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by the night by the gate of the valley. Even before the dragon well, into the dung port, some versions will say the dung gate, the dung gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, 
and the gates there, uh, thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went unto the gate of the mountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went uh, I up in the night by the brook, the brook, probably the brook Kidron, and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and uh, so returned. So he first did a night survey and he saw the bad condition that Jerusalem you know, was uh, having. Uh, like garbage everywhere and uh, the walls are broken and uh, jackals and uh, you know uh, not so nice to read this <clears throat> and then of course he prepared his project to build a city wall um, so Nehemiah's wall was built within how many days who remember 52, I'm reading from Nehemiah 6, uh, verse 15. So the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. <laughs> wow, wow. Who can build a wall in Jerusalem in 52 days? Do you know how heavy the stones are? <laughs> <laughs> limestone and all of that. Uh, there are still um, open questions among historians about Jerusalem uh, in certain time periods. Nehemiah is for sure one of them. And the question is, uh, what was the size of Jerusalem under Nehemiah? Was Jerusalem as small during King David and Solomon? Or was Jerusalem as big during the time of Hezekiah? So there are two opinions. Uh, none of them came to its final conclusion yet. <laughs> yet. It's nice. It's nice that we you know, have open issues that we are dealing with. And who knows what they are going to find tomorrow, which may prove this opinion over that opinion. Right. Yes? So there are two opinions. One is called the minimalistic, and one is called the maximalistic. <laughs> okay? <clears throat> now, if you go with the 52 days, knowing Jerusalem, it's a challenge to think that you can do this in 52 days. Even if you bring groups of workers, and that's what Nehemiah did from all the tribes, uh, and therefore we think that during the time of Nehemiah, was, uh, Jerusalem was more or less similar to what Jerusalem was under King Solomon. Like having the city of David area, plus Mount Moriah area with the second temple on top, getting the water from the tunnel, which is still functioning, and uh, 
when we excavated the city of David, we definitely found fragments from Nehemiah's wall there on top of Hezekiah's wall. Okay? So uh, it's still an open question. I cannot, uh, you know, resolve it here. Um, but uh, it's good to know that, uh, you know, that uh, there are two, actually, two um, versions or two opinions about uh, this. Um, 400 years later, after Nehemiah, Jerusalem will have a boom, <laughs> and the city will be so big, so big. Uh, first of all, there are many more Jewish people living in Jerusalem. And who is the one that made Jerusalem so big 400 years later? His name is Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Okay. So, if you take this map, sometimes I like, you know, my map over the printed ones. <laughs> If you take this map, King Herod built several city walls in Jerusalem. Remember, none of them crossed the valleys to the other side. So the valleys will always stand as natural boundaries to Jerusalem till modern times. So. King Herod built uh, several walls. How do we know this? First of all, we have a good source, written source, okay, written by a person whose name was Josephus Flavius. Josephus Flavius, who is almost the biographer of uh, Herod the Great. <laughs> he is describing all the big projects that Herod built in Israel, such as Caesarea, Jerusalem, Masada, and many others. So Herod's wall, first wall, will be here. Like Hezekiah, exactly. Then, uh, then he will build a second wall. Look how the city is going north. He knew that Jewish people are making their ascension to Jerusalem on the three feasts, the Jewish three feasts. What are the three feasts that Jewish people are coming to Jerusalem? Many of them with offerings. The Feast of Tabernacle, the Feast of Passover, Pesach, and the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of the Weeks uh, that falls on the Pentecost Day. So, tabernacle between September and October, uh, Passover, Easter time, and the Feast of the Weeks, 50 days later, exactly the day of the Pentecost. Hundreds of thousands of Jews made their pilgrimage, you know, tour or visit to Jerusalem, and their main goal was to come to the you know, to the temple in Jerusalem. What Herod did, and you're going to see later on pictures, what Herod did 
was to make the area of Mount Moriah much bigger. So how can you do it? Or how did he do it? He built massive walls. I'll do it with blue, even though blue is water. Massive walls around Mount Moriah. And from a hill, it became a box, <laughs> like a shoe box, a giant. You cannot see the end. So big. On top of, you know, a big plaza. And on top of that plaza, he built a new temple. We like to call it the second temple. Even though there was already a second temple, but you cannot call it the second second. <laughs> so it's easier to say the second temple. And that's the one that you read in the Bible, in the New Testament, all the stories. How uh, Jesus, when he was... Uh, a young boy, 12 years old, what happened to him? When he came with his parents to Jerusalem, he got lost. But when they saw him, you know, he was sitting debating with the rabbis there, with the scholars. That's the temple. The same one that he said to that temple, no stone will be left there on top of each other. That's the shiny temple that King Herod built. You're going to see pictures later on, so big, with the four retaining walls of the Temple Mount. One of them is the famous Western Wall, Wailing Wall, Western Wall. So Jerusalem is much bigger with the first wall and the second wall of Jerusalem. It is coming very clearly from this map how the city during King Herod or Jesus' time later on will be much bigger. 100,000 people was the population of Jerusalem when Jesus came to the city. It was back then the biggest city in Israel. It is today the biggest city in Israel. And there he died. And there he was buried, and there he rose from the dead, and there he ascended. Mount of Olives is also known as the Mount of Ascension. And in the next presentation, I'll show you several pictures. You know, uh, actually, no, we'll, it will be the footsteps of Jesus will be tomorrow night. So you will see pictures, you know, of these places. And as Jesus said, no stone will be left on top of each other. 37 years after he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, the Roman army attacked the city of Jerusalem. And in the year 70 AD, it got destroyed. Destroyed. I mentioned uh, earlier how after the fall of uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD, you know, Jews, uh, those who uh, were able to live in the land of Israel 
will not be able uh, in the next 2,000 years to um, you know, uh, build their life as free people. Jerusalem will change hands <laughs> almost 200, I mean, every 200 years, new rulers will be in Jerusalem. So uh, the walls are broken. The Romans are controlling the city. Then the city will be under the Byzantine hands. And then, thank you. And then uh, the Muslims will take the city of Jerusalem. There will be no walls to Jerusalem. No city walls. It will be a city without, you know, defending walls. Uh, so the next massive wall which will protect the city of Jerusalem will only build in the year 1538 by the Ottomans. So you can see what they did over here. And that's the wall of the old city the tourists, while visiting Jerusalem, can see when they are entering the gates of Jerusalem. So technically, the current wall of the old city okay, is not fully identified with the original city walls that I was trying to share with you tonight and to show you how Jerusalem grew, you know, from here and the valleys and uh, the major events. I hope that you learned something. <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll go to another break of 10 minutes and, uh, and then nine o'clock I will start um, my presentation with the slides, um, which is called The Old Testament Comes Alive. For some slides and pictures uh, from Israel. Uh, so this uh, presentation, uh, and uh, tomorrow night, you're going to see many, many sites in Israel. Tonight, they are all dealing with Old Testament references. Tomorrow night, they will all deal with New Testament references. And I uh, even call it the footsteps of Jesus. So tonight, it's, uh, uh, it's doing, uh, I mean, I'm going to do it chronologically. The difference between tonight and tomorrow night is that tonight, it will be done chronologically. As if I'm telling you, you know, the history, the hi you know, following the history. Um, and tomorrow night, it will be as if we are sitting in a bus in Israel and doing a tour, okay? So the church will be a bus with no wheels. Uh, now, when I'm saying chronologically, I'm going to mention Abraham, which is like 4,000 years ago. And the end of tonight's presentation will be the fall of the first temple uh, in Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar, 586 BC. So we are going to cover 1,500 years in the next uh, 50 minutes or so. Um, Who remember what's a tell? Any hill, or it has to have something on top? Cities, civilizations, 
okay? Layers. In that regard, Israel is like a tell. We have the modern Israel above, and if you open the ground and you look for the history, for the past, there's a good chance for you to find uh, remnants from uh, the past, from the history of Israel, depending how deep will you go in your dig. Uh, so there are certain you know, few layers under the modern uh, state, like the level where we live. If we open the ground, we'll find uh, on, you know, most of the uh, previous uh, periods of Israel. Uh, so uh, let's, uh, let's uh, assume that tonight we are going a bit deep. Because if you want to find things from 4,000 years ago, you need to, you know, to go deeper and deeper. And then, of course, if you want to find things which are more recently built, they won't be so deep. Yeah. It's like a tell. Um, Genesis chapter 12, when we uh, uh, read how uh, God said to Avram, Abram, not yet, Avraham, Abraham, take yourself, take your family, take your goods with you, and leave the place where you are sitting, and it was Haran, where he was, which is in Syria today, and go to the land that I will uh, show you. And Abraham, or Abram, entered to the land of Canaan uh, before it became known as Israel. Um, and uh, one of the very, very first uh, places that Abraham uh, stopped in uh, the land was a place called Shechem, the city of Shechem. And uh, in Genesis chapter 14, we uh, read how God revealed himself to Avram in this area, Shechem. Where is Shechem? On the high mountains of Samaria. This is where Shechem is. And Abraham built an altar in Shechem. The city of Shechem is built in a valley between two mountains. And you can see them in the picture. To the right is Mount Ebal. To the left, Mount Gerizim. So one of them, Gerizim, is known as the Mount of the Blessing. And Abel is known as the Mount of the Cursing. Both of them are rising above the city of Shechem. That's another nice picture of that area. Uh, what's uh, Abraham's uh, nephew name? Where did Lot live? Where was Lot and where was Abraham? Lot lived uh, in Sodom area, which is down at the bottom of the Dead Sea. And Abraham lived in the plain of Mamre, which is near Hebron. No wonder why this route here will be called the route of the patriarchs. That's where, you know, they lived and they wandered. What happened to Lot? Uh, 
Lot was uh, captured, captured by whom? By the kings of the north. Yeah. There were kings here in the north, and they took Lot, and they put him in captive, the Bible says, in a place called Dan. Yes. Dan. Or if you want the Canaanite name of Dan, go with Laish or Leshem. Mm -hmm. And we know perfectly where is Dan. Up in the north. Right here, the northern end of Israel. Uh, and we found the tell of Dan. And uh, there are several big discoveries that Israeli archaeologists found in the ancient city of Dan, which was still built by the Canaanites, pre-Israelites. you know, Israelites. And one of them is what we see in that picture. Now, who can, uh, who can visualize a gate in the picture? Uh, ignore the brown dirt that we had to put inside in order to preserve 46 mud bricks, which are creating the shape of an arch. And I hope that you can see them. At that time, they were built from mud. Not from stone. <coughs> and when we found this arch 25 years ago, that's when it was discovered. Inside, we discovered a second one. And further in, we found a third one. So it's like an archway. My friends, this is the most uh, well-preserved ancient archway in the whole world. Wow. It is 4,000 years old. Wow. How old is America? <laughs> 4,000 years old. And when Abraham came to, when he was told that his nephew was kidnapped and he is in that place, he took his uh, servant, and he went all the way up north, and he saved Lot mm -hmm. from captivity. Yeah. And it won't be a mistake to say that through this gate, Abraham entered to the city of Laish to take back his nephew. And today, it's a national park, so the National Park authorities decided to call it Abraham's Gate. Mm -hmm. 4,000 years old. And this was found 25 years ago oh, that in that city called Dan. Uh, when Abraham died, he was buried in the same burial cave that he bought when he was still alive. Uh, and I'm talking about the cave called Machpelah. And where is the cave of Machpelah situated? In a city called Hebron. In Hebron is down in the Judea area here. So this building that you can see over there is a building that was built above the cave of Machpelah. And who else is buried there? Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Leah, and Rebekah. So it's known as the tomb of the patriarchs and the tomb of the matriarchs in the city of Hebron. Mm -hmm. 
the tomb, the cave of Machpelah. Uh, another story in Genesis is the wrestling yeah. of whom? Jacob. Jacob with the angel. Where did it happen? Where did it took place? What's the name of that creek? Jabok. So the Jabok is right here, coming down to the Jordan River. So that's the brook where Jacob wrestled with the angel. And ever since then, he will be known as Israel. We have many tombs in Israel. We, uh, you know, I have to be honest with you and to tell you that some of them are traditional sites. Even though they have names, there is no proof of who really is buried there. So they are like traditional. Uh, but others are certain, are proved. And this is one of them. And that's the Rachel tomb, tomb of Rachel. And we know that Rachel died a short time after she gave birth of Benjamin. And she was in a place called Ephrata, which is Bethlehem. So that's the tomb of Rachel. To this very same day, it is still there. That's an interesting, uh, I want to read from uh, Exodus. Exodus uh, 24, verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Moses did this after he actually met God, you know, on the mountain. Uh, so we found this mountain in Israel very close to the border with Sinai, which is correlated with the roots, you know, the wandering of the Israelites in the desert after they left Egypt. And look what we found under the mountain, an altar made of 12 stones. You can see six in each row. Nice place. <laughs> Um, the story of the spies that Moses uh, launched uh, to explore the land, <laughs> 12 spies. Um, we don't like all of them. We like only the two. <laughs> yes? Because the 10 came back. No, 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 no. Only negative things. The two came back only positive. Yeah, uh, this is why we like the two that said, don't, you know, don't listen to them. It's a land full of milk and honey. Okay, so we know that the, uh, that the spies actually entered to explore the land from here. When Moses was in Kadesh, Barnea, and they took the route of Paran, the wilderness of Paran. And that's what you see over there. <clears throat> now, uh, the entry to the land 
which is close to, uh, you know, after the 40 years, will not be from Sinai to the land of Israel. They will do another big loop like this. After all, God's plan was that the generation of the desert will not be the one to enter. I don't need to go through all the bad things that they did. Yes? So they were trying, do you remember the fight with the Amalekites and how they couldn't enter? So they did another loop around. By the way, the Red Sea has two branches, you can see, uh, not all of you, two branches, uh, you know, around Sinai. So they had to cross it to the other side and then they started to do the last part of the journey uh, over the mountains which are in Jordan, such as Midian, Edom, and Moab. Uh, between the two brothers, who died first, Aaron or Moses? Aaron. Aaron died on Mount Hor. So we think that we found Mount Hor, uh, and there is a tomb up there which is uh, called Aaron's tomb. It's in Jordan, above the ancient city of Petra. Some um, scholars will identify Petra with Basra, uh, which is also connected to some of the prophecies, end times, so, you know, prophecies. Uh, so that's Mount Hor with the tomb of Aaron. Moses went up to another high mountain, which is located just on the other side of the Dead Sea here, known as Mount Nebo. And he looked from there to the Promised Land. Uh, beautiful view. I personally uh, stood on Mount Nebo several times. And uh, with a nice day, clear day, you can see uh, Jerusalem from Mount Nebo. It's very nice, yeah. Um, well, I'm sure that Moses saw the greenery of Jericho and the Jordan River and all of that. He finished uh, his job uh, on Mount Nebo. He never came down, so we believe that he died up there. And then Joshua, the new leader, yes, is taking the new generation into the land they had to cross a river. What's the name of the river? Jordan River. What did God do? He stopped the water in the Adam area from running down, and there was a big part of the river Jordan that became dry, and that's how they went and, and they crossed it. Now, when uh, people think about the Jordan River, uh, sometimes they are coming with the perception that they are going to see the Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome Jordan River. <laughs> okay, like maximum 30 feet from one bank to the other bank, not more. So we believe that this is the area that got dry. 
opposite to Jericho, and here were the stones. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, lay down there, and the Israelites went behind the ark, and they entered to the land. And what is the first uh, place that they took? Jericho. So, welcome the Tell of Jericho. The Tell of Jericho. And there are so many stories about Jericho. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, not much to see. But you know what? After all, the city got destroyed. So if the city got destroyed, how can you see things? <laughs> and, and very often, the tourists are asking us, Aaron, are we going to see the wall? But the wall <laughs> crumbled. The wall fell. <laughs> so they, I mean, we cannot show you the wall of Jericho. Uh, but we are very sure with the tell of Jericho being, you know, the Jericho that we have in the Bible with all the stories about Jericho. Uh, with Rahab's you know, house that was uh, built by the wall and how she saved the uh, two spies and uh, smuggled them uh, you know, out uh, of the city and she got saved with her family when the rest of the city was destroyed exactly as Joshua said about Jericho. Thank you. Jericho is known as one of the most ancient cities in the world. This is a very interesting site uh, in Israel. When I said chronologically at the beginning, I, I hope that now you get it. We started with Abraham, yes? Then uh, slowly, slowly we moved to uh, Exodus, Moses. <laughs> Aaron, Moses, now Joshua in the land. And uh, one of the first places that they came, the Israelites, was Shiloh. A place called Shiloh, and that's the tell of Shiloh. You can see a lot of ruins that we found on the tell of Shiloh. Where is Shiloh? It will be north of Jerusalem. It will be between the land of Benjamin and the land of Ephraim. It will be more in Ephraim. Uh, beautiful mountains, the mountains of Samaria, their vineyards. Beautiful. So many stories are connected with Shiloh in the Bible. Like one of them uh, is talking about Elkanah who is married to Hannah. And Hannah couldn't give birth. And she used to come so often to pray to God. And she made it. And she gave birth of Samuel. It happened here in Shiloh. Uh, or the biggest story is the story of uh, what they built in Shiloh to put the ark, the tabernacle that they brought with them, you know, from the desert, was placed in Shiloh. And technically, Shiloh became the center way before Jerusalem will be. And for more than 600, uh, 300 years, like 369 years, Shiloh will be the center, the 
ritual and the religious center. <laughs> Having the tabernacle there with the ark. So you see an illustration of the area and how they put the tabernacle uh, in Shiloh. And we found the place that we believe that there the tabernacle was. Yes, yes. And what happened to the ark? Who remember? What will happen to the ark? Not stolen. Do you remember me talking about the Philistines? And Justin said, and he's right, their appetite was growing. He said they are stealing. <laughs> He's right. They wanted to take the land from the Israelites. So they left the area of the coast and they went towards where Tel Aviv will, you know, is. Tel Aviv is a modern city. Jaffa existed at that time. And they prepared themselves to fight with the Israelites. And uh, and it will be a bit later on in Samuel. Yeah, we read how the Israelites were a bit desperate. And they thought if they will bring the ark to the battlefield, they will defeat the Philistines. And what happened eventually was that the ark fell in the hands of the Philistines. And they will bring the ark to their city, Ashdod, and they will put it in the temple of Dagon. And then strange things all of a sudden will start, you know, happening there. And it took them a short time to understand that they did a big mistake. <laughs> so they put the ark on car, you know, driven by two cows toward Jerusalem. So the, the location of the ark was here in Shiloh. We left... Uh, Joshua, and we are now Judges. The book of Judges, two big stories. Number four, the story of Deborah. And what did Deborah do when she realized that an army uh, is coming to conquer Israel, the army of Sisera? Now, he was planning to enter through the Jezreel Valley. She sent her general Barak to sit here on Mount Tabor. And he took with him two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali. Mm -hmm. And when the rain came, the heavy army of Sisera, which was coming with the iron chariots, <laughs> got stuck in the mud and they couldn't move which brought the Israelites to come down from Mount Tabor and to crash the army of Sisera in the Jezreel Valley. What did Sisera do to himself? Ran away. <laughs> he did, by the way, what an Israeli general will never ever do to his soldiers. He abandoned them. He let them to die. He wanted to save himself. And here comes the beautiful story of Gile, the woman with the tent and how she gave him milk instead of water and, you know, he fell asleep. And she took the nail of the tent and killed him. 
It all happened under Mount Tabor. Or we can pick up another story in Judges, number 6-7, the spring of Gideon, and how Gideon, when he called them to come, he got thousands. He didn't know what to do with so many. He didn't need so many. And he wanted an, a small army, but a smart one. And the army was built from whom? Not, uh, you know, soldiers. He called the people to become his army. And that's the spring when he, where he tested them. And he saw who are those who knew how to lap the water without letting loose the weapon, you know, in their hand while the others were kneeling down and they, you know, let loose the weapon. Mm -hmm. So he didn't choose them, he chose the ones that, you know, knew how to hold the weapon in their hands. <laughs> and 300 men, and they went and they crashed the Midianites. This is a very exciting sight to, you know, visit in Israel and to be able to touch the water yeah. and also to, you know, Taste the water of the spring of Gideon. Mm -hmm. Beautiful location. Not very tasty, I tried. <laughs> now it's much more tasty. Uh, <laughs> I drank some of that water, it's good. <laughs> it had a dead fat in it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the hill of More where the Midianites got crashed. Do you remember? how the ark was loaded on the cart, driven by the two cows, <laughs> with nobody driving them. Yeah. And the Bible says that they did a stop in Beit Shemesh. So that's the tell of Beit Shemesh. It's on the way to Jerusalem. From this place, the, you know, the ark will, will be going to Kiryat Yarim for several years there, and then finally David will bring it to Jerusalem, King David. So that's the Beit Shemesh tale. <clears throat> uh, we are now uh, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. What's the biggest story there? The young uh, boy, not even 18, who came from Bethlehem up on these mountains while the giant Philistine, Goliath, is there, uh, you know, mocking uh, David, cursing uh, David's God. Um, and uh, David was smart. First, he needed to convince his dad that he can do it. Then he needed to convince the king, King Saul, that he can do it. When these two were convinced, do you remember how Saul started to put on him all the heavy things? I don't need this. I'm coming with the biggest weapon on earth. <laughs> I don't need this, you know. And we are taking groups to the creek from where David pick the five stones, yeah. yeah, put them in his, you know, pouch and use only one, 
It was enough to defeat the giant and to defeat the Philistines. That's the Valley of Elah, which is located here between Jerusalem and the Gaza area. Don't forget that Goliath is from Gat, which is here. So that's the Valley of Elah. What a, you know, an exciting moment to be there and to open the Bible and to yeah. do the reading. Uh, what a successful boy. His name is David. And the king has so much, you know, jealousy. Yeah. And he envy David. So David... Uh, at some point, needed to you know, run and to find a place to hide. And one of them is Engedi. So in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we have three identifications uh, that uh, the Bible relates in Engedi. One is the water, and you can see the spring. Yes, fresh water mm -hmm. all year round. The second one, the Bible speaks about the wild goats. Mm -hmm. And these are the ibex that you can see there. They live free wow. in the nature. Uh, in Israel, we are not allowed to hunt, by the way. It's forbidden. Mm -hmm. So these are the ibex. And what's the third element in that story? A cave. Mm -hmm. So you can stand there and watch caves. Not far from you. And this specific one is so big and so deep inside, it can easily take hundreds of people. Wow. And here is the story of how the king stood so close to David. Yeah. And David cut a piece, you know, from his uh, robe. Explain why it's so far up. So um, the, the, the rock, the stone itself, is a bit soft. And the erosion is there is dramatic erosion. Each time when a flood water is coming down, the water will shave part of that soft rock. And don't forget that we are 3,000 years later. So there will be a lot of erosion, and therefore we cannot see the narrow path that probably was there for people uh, like fighters to be able to reach the cave and to go inside. By the way, the goats can do it. The wild goats, you know, the ibex can do it. But that path was washed off with the water like the rest of the stone. So we were left only with a cave, but not the entrance. Yeah, it's an, it's an aquifer. It's, it's rainwater, which is going, you know, under the ground, aquifer, and then it's coming out as a spring all year round fresh water. And we have several like these. But talking about this, uh, the Gihon in Jerusalem doesn't look like this. The Gihon is completely underground, and you see how the water is jutting out, but it's all underground. Uh, 
First uh, Samuel, the last chapter, 31, the death of King Saul on Mount Gilboa, which is here, when he understood that the Philistines are going to, you know, take his land, and especially when he heard the sad news of how uh, three of his sons died, Jonathan, Avinadav, and Malkishua. So he took his own life by falling on the sword mm -hmm. on Mount Gilboa. And what did the Philistines do with the body of King Saul? They beheaded him and they took the body and hanged the body on the walls of Beit Sheun. And that's the tell of Beit Sheun. And 3,000 years ago, on top of the tell was a wall, a city wall. And that's where the body of King Saul got hanged. Till the people from Gilead, Jabesh Gilead, came and moved the body to their land. And later on, it will be taken to uh, his tribe, land Benjamin. King Solomon is from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, <clears throat> I mentioned in the previous uh, presentation that I'm going to show you an illustration uh, of Jerusalem uh, under King David and Solomon. So when you are watching this, try to correlate this with the map that I did <coughs> on the board. Do you remember? So what can we see here? Yeah, it can work a little bit. We can see the city of David built on a hill. We can see King David's palace. We can see the, Kish, the uh, Kidron Valley. Yes. These guys are, way, are standing on Mount of Olives, by the way. And at some point, this is where the Gihon Spring is. They are going to build some fortifications above the water because it was outside the city wall. Can you see? That's the city wall of Jerusalem. So the water source is completely outside. And King Solomon expanded the city to the north and on top of Mount Moriah, he built the first temple. So you have an idea that Jerusalem at that time was not a very large, a very big city. Uh, so after the death of King Solomon, 922, uh, 928 BC, the kingdom is splitting. And we have one story that goes for the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, and one story that goes for the kingdom of Judea, the southern one. And King Solomon built, during his time, few cities which he fortified such as Hatsor. Have you heard the name Hatsor? It is here. And then Megiddo. And then Gezer. So that's the city of Hatsor uh, with the main gate, King Solomon's gate. Uh, we found the tale of Hatsor. And uh, here we are coming to another city up in the north called Dan. 
It is the same den to where Abraham came to save, you know, Lot, but then it was, uh, it was not yet an Israelite city. It was a Canaanite city, not with a massive wall. Do you remember how they built from mud, mud bricks? And now when we are talking how the Israelites built then, it's not mud bricks. This is heavy stone. So that's the wall of Dan made of heavy bricks of stone. Not bricks, but, you know, heavy pieces of stone. That's the gate to go in. And now I want to read another quote from the Bible. I'm reading from uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. Uh, whereupon, it's talking about Jeroboam, the king of Israel. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Remember, Dan is here, and Jerusalem will be here. He's telling to his people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, uh, O Israel, which brought uh, thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Beit El, and the other one he put he in Dan. Now, uh, we know where the two sites are. We found the city of Dan, and the Bible keeps telling us how he built the high place, the Bima, the high place in Dan, uh, we found the high place that Jeroboam built in Dan. We also put a replica of the four horns altar there. And down here we discovered uh, uh, remnants in, uh, of animals that were sacrificed. Uh, we did DNA tests. They were all kosher animals. And that's exactly how the Bible is talking about how they brought the sacrifices to the altar in Dan instead of bringing them to Jerusalem as they should do. <laughs> and no wonder why it says that he built two golden calves and he set one in Dan. This is one of them. <laughs> and no wonder why enemies soon will come and uh, take down the kingdom of Israel. Another thing that we discovered in Dan in front of the main gate a few years ago is a broken stone that you can see up there. And uh, something is written on that stone. Mm -hmm. And that stone was left by uh, a king that came from the empire of Aram to punish the kings of Israel. And he wrote a list of the king's names whom he punished. 
And at the bottom, where it's uh, coming up, you know, highlighted with white color, it says, and they are related to the house of David. So the name of David is written on that stone. And that's the only evidence, of course, outside the Bible for King David. Wow. It's called the David Stone. We have the original one in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. I mean, it was found in the city of Dan. This is Megiddo, another tell built by Solomon and later on by Ahab, where he brought the horses, you know, to store them at Megiddo. And the altar of Megiddo, the rounded one, and the way down to the water. Okay, this is a, a classical tale, the best one in Israel. No wonder why 21 cities are sitting at the top of the tell. <laughs> because the spring was bubbling just under the tell. So when they realized that they cannot go around and enter the cave where they could pull the water out, they, because enemies are sitting around, they open a way from within the city to go down and they reach the water. This is what we have. <laughs> Sometimes people think that they are going to see the Niagara Falls. <laughs> But that's a, a, you know, a trickle. Uh, and this is how they had to carve the rock in order to reach the spring there at Megiddo. Uh, well, uh, First Kings chapter 18. <clears throat> what a great story of uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Yes? Uh, and uh, the story of the 450 prophets of Baal, uh, and how an altar was built, and um, finally, of course, they realized who is the true God, who is the most powerful one, and the fire came down and consumed whatever was laid on the altar, and the Bible says that uh, the 450 prophets who used to feed them the 450 prophets of, uh, of, uh, of Baal, of the God, who used to feed them. Jezebel. Jezebel uh, used to you know, provide them food. So they all escape down to the brook Kishon, where they uh, finally were slain there. That's a powerful place to stand in Israel, on Mount Carmel, to be able to see the sea from where the cloud rose and the, there was a sign that the rain is coming, to see the valley. and to, I mean, you can see so much from Mount Carmel. This is the chariot, the brook chariot, uh, in the desert not far from Jericho, where Elijah uh, was uh, fed by the ravens. Yeah. Exactly. It's not uh, a flowing river. <laughs> we have a term in Israel that you can see road signs, and so often wadi, 
Wadi is almost a brook, but it's a dry riverbed. Mm. Yeah. Wadi. So Israel fell, and uh, this is one of the cities protecting Jerusalem around called Lachish. Lachish. It is right here. Uh, and Lachish was attacked by the Assyrians. Uh, and uh, in Assyria, uh, archaeologists will find in the city called Nineveh, uh, they will find a palace of one of the kings of Assyria with a big description of how he took the city of Lachish. Uh, that's another kind of illustrated picture of Jerusalem. And what we see here is, again, the city of David up to where Solomon built the temple, but the extension west. Do you remember the map? They were blocked with the valley. Look, the Kidron. They were blocked with the Hinnom. The only option for Jerusalem to grow will be west and then north. So this is the wall that Hezekiah built in Jerusalem. What's this? <laughs> of course, now you know. Now you know. <coughs> Excuse me. So you can see, you can see perfectly here how the, uh, uh, the, the black broken uh, you know, line is uh, the wall of the city and how the spring itself is outside the city wall and the tunnel that was built to shift the water to transfer to scent. By the way, the word is to scent. The water was scent. Siloam is coming from the word shiloach, which means to scent. The water was sent from the spring to the pool. I told you how uh, people are walking through the tunnel with their feet in the water. Okay, it's a nice experience of almost half an hour with flashlights. Yeah, the beginning you must lower down your head, but uh, after a few minutes you can walk, you know, free in the tunnel, but the tunnel is very narrow, very narrow, and it's one way. You cannot regret, you know, and decide to change your mind. Once you got in, you must keep on. No way to change your mind. Oh, God, save me. I need to, to go out. No way. No way, because there are more groups behind you. Impossible. Impossible. And this is the outlet, the other end. So we found the pool of Siloam. So first the water came to an upper basin, and then the water you know, was flowing from the upper basin all the way down to the big pool. And my friends, as I mentioned before, 700 years later, that's exactly the place where the man who was born blind will be sent by Jesus to wash the mud that was covering his eyes, and he got back his sight. Yes. Amen. 
And when he was asked who did it for you, he said, I don't know. I just you know, heard someone talking to me, telling me to do this and this and this. And Yeah. And that's the inscription that was found in the tunnel. I told you, how do we know, you know, how they made the tunnel? This was found. This is not the original. Unfortunately, the original one was stolen yeah, by the Turks. And uh, they have it. It's in the Turkish Museum in Istanbul. So that's a replica. <laughs> it belongs to us. <laughs> yeah. By the way, if you know a little bit the global history of the Middle East, uh, don't be surprised uh, because it was so common at that time in the 19th century when sites got discovered, everybody took. The British took, the French took, the Germans took. Um, if you go and visit the Louvre or the British Museum, you're going to see a lot of stuff taken from Egypt there, including the uh, Rosita stone, and which is how they knew how to read the hieroglyphs. So, uh, The second project that Hezekiah built in Jerusalem was the wall, the city wall, correct? Look, this is uh, the foundation that we uncovered in Jerusalem. And look how wide. Yeah. It's called the broad wall. And this is just the base. The wall was 24 feet, you know, tall. That's not the wall built in 52 days. That's the wall, you know, the, built by Hezekiah before Nehemiah. Well, uh, when people are dying in Jerusalem, they are buried in uh, caves, burial caves. The burial caves, most of them are located in the valleys, Kidron and Hinnom, but outside, not inside. There are no tombs inside the city. Dead people are buried outside the wall. Uh, and we found lots of burial caves, and uh, when I have, uh, when I have uh, tourists that are cooperating, you know, I'm asking some of them to demonstrate to the rest of the group, you know, how they used to bury people in those days. What is missing will be the roof of the cave. So you can see the beds that were carved uh, to put the dead bodies, and the system was that you put the person, the dead person, inside a year, and then one of the families coming, opening the cave, collecting the bones, and moving the bones to a repository, like a hidden storage, and you know, using the cave for another one and another one. <laughs> Uh, this is uh, an area, which is right here, where uh, one of the latest kings of Judea was defeated by the Egyptians, and I'm talking about King Josiah. Mm -hmm. 
in the year 609 BC. So slowly, slowly, the end is coming. And uh, from 609, it's a short time to 586 BC. Second Kings chapter 25. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, and every great man's house burned he with fire. And the first temple got destroyed, the one that King Solomon built in Jerusalem, and the city will be empty, and most of the um, Jewish people will be taken to exile by Nebuchadnezzar, and exile for them is Babylon, 650 miles away from Jerusalem, in between the two big rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, Babylonia, Mesopotamia. Thank you very much. Uh, I hope that uh, I was able to uh, give you some insights about uh, stories that you know, about, uh, you know, scriptures that you know. And uh, so tonight, we did it with the old Tomorrow we'll do it with the New Testament. Thank you. That's one of the reasons I wanted him to show you Tomorrow, and I think tomorrow, we're going to get up into the Galilee. This is where Jesus grew up. The Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, and all of that. So when you're reading your Bible, it's all happening up here. Jerusalem's here. So you have to understand, Jesus wasn't running back and forth to Jerusalem every few days. So when, when one of the things that, and I hope he gets into this, if, if the Bible says that people came from Syria, which is not even on the chart, Leb Judea here, Decapolis, how long is it taking them to get from here, there, to hear him preach? Eight days walk. Doesn't that astound you? So now when you're reading that he fed them, they are there for three, and then they're walking back eight. This is, this is, when I got up there, I realized not a lot of people live up there. So when the crowds are gathering, they're coming from everywhere. Imagine people walking from Miami to hear me preach. Wouldn't that be great? But, you know, now what, I, what I want you to see is don't miss tomorrow and don't miss Thursday nights. What I'm trying to get you to see, because you're getting the history of Israel, but soon we're going to get into the, the footsteps of Jesus and all that happened and how he, he came from Galilee down into Jerusalem 
And I mean, that's what a five-day walk. And donkey, Bethlehem's down south of there. So anyway, there's so much history that your Bible begins to make more sense to you when you're able to see it. See, I actually thought they crossed from Egypt down here. I didn't know they crossed. See, there's so much I didn't know. I mean, my Bible started coming alive. So anyway, hey, uh, did y'all enjoy this? We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big Give Now button. Or you can text... 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.